My name is Heather Beadle, and my favorite part of running a consortium is getting to perform cutting-edge research while mentoring students and all the skills that they need to be able to do that research. Welcome to SEG's Seismic Sound Off, conversations with geoscientists addressing the challenges of energy, water, and climate. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. In this first episode of 2024, Heather Beadle, Principal Investigator at Attribute Assisted Seismic Processing and Interpretation, or ASPI, joins the show. Heather shares insights into how machine learning has been utilized in geophysics for decades. She emphasizes the importance of critical thinking when interpreting algorithmic outputs, and also discusses the potential biases inherent in machine learning models. Throughout this episode, you will discover how ASPI reveals hidden patterns in seismic data, pushes the boundaries of geologic interpretation, and reshapes our understanding of the Earth using cutting-edge research and technology. Heather also highlights her favorite attribute, aberrancy, which is pushing the boundaries of seismic detail. This episode spotlights the value of machine learning and how it will shape the future of research and the industry. Please check out the show notes to learn more about ASPI and find links to all the papers referenced in this episode. Let's get to my conversation with Heather Beadle. We'll start with a, a general question here of what we're talking about, the consortium that we're chatting about today. What is ASPI? That is the acronym, A-A-S-P-I. What is ASPI? Yes. So ASPI is the Attribute Assisted Seismic Processing and Interpretation Consortium. So it's centered at the University of Oklahoma, and it was started back around 2008 by Kurt Marfert. We work with two other universities, well, one other university, (laughs) um, the University of Alabama, and then we have an affiliate in Brazil. Well, Kurt Marford and yourself have been on both on this podcast before today. And and that name feels like a pretty good description of the work that you're doing. But what would you say is the driving objective of ASPI? So the driving objective of ASPI is to try and reveal and see more patterns in the seismic data than we can see just looking at the seismic amplitude data. These patterns are what we use to guide our geologic minds and our geologic interpretations. So the more attributes and now machine learning methods that we've been incorporating, the more of those that we can use to create new visualizations, to combine different types of attributes. Uh, They help us kind of see those patterns with our eyes so then we can interpret them. If we have time, I might come back to this idea of geologic minds. I I like that. I like that thinking there. (laughs) I kind of like sometimes just starting from the bare bones and building up from there. And machine learning itself is just this broad term. It's used across numerous industries, numerous professions. What are just a few basic ways within the geosciences machine learning is used? So I have a suspicion that machine learning is used in more ways that we even know. You know, even just starting off generally, I I tell my students that when they use products like Grammarly, that's machine learning, you know, in a, in a simple form. And so in geology, we've been using it for, for decades, I think, without realizing it from some of the seismic interpretation softwares where we try to set a seed point 
on a horizon and then let it map for us. That's a type of machine learning. Other ways that it could be used is in trying to predict if you're looking at well log data, what different minerals are there, what the lithology might be. And so it's it's more common than we realize, but I think because of you know more of the national press, especially with like products like ChatGPT and generative AI, it's been getting a lot more focus lately. Do you think I I use Grammarly quite a bit and and I just started experimenting with the Grammarly Go, they call it, which is basically generative AI in in Grammarly's world, which is kind of what I think of now when I think of machine learning or chat GPT. Do you think within the geosciences that is, you know, if a manager comes to them and says, can we use machine learning as you do you think people realize they've been doing machine learning within the oil and gas industry or are they just kind of coming to realize Oh, it's this and a little bit more. I think they're, they may not realize it. I think it may have started kind of coming into their minds a little bit more um, thinking about it. But the way I think about machine learning and the way I talk to my students about it is it's, it's just math or statistics, you know. So we've been using it in many ways for a long time. Is there something unique about the way Aspie explores the application of machine learning for geosciences? Or as you've mentioned, you know, your students, as you, that you teach your students kind of unique applications of, of how to use this tool? Yeah, what I've been focusing on lately in the classroom and with my researchers is kind of how to think about AI and machine learning, especially now that it's become a, a larger topic to general audiences. So we've been talking a lot more about biases, uncertainty, you know, trying to understand what the machine learning algorithm is doing. So like the critical analyses part. But, but what we're doing in ASPE, you know, besides these philosophical questions, which sometimes we have during our, our research group meetings, what we're doing is, I, I don't know, I think we just have fun learning and reading about a new algorithm or something that somebody's using in a completely different, you know, science field and being like, hmm, I wonder if we could apply that to geologic data. And then that becomes a project and we test it out. So we have over a dozen machine learning algorithms that can be used in ASPE. Um, some of them supervised, which means we guide it. Some of them unsupervised, which is where it's just trying to cluster for us without any kind of guidance to it. Um, some semi-supervised. And even just a couple of days ago, my postdoc, uh, David Lubo, and I were, were talking about how we're both curi- curious about generative AI and trying to see if maybe over the next couple years, as like a side project, if we could create a chat bot to help our users use ASPE more efficiently. <laughs> ah, that is quite clever. I- I'm going to have David Lubo on, on this podcast very soon. It'll be a little after this episode gets released. So I'm excited to chat with him. And, you know, you've mentioned your students, you mentioned this research that you're doing. By my by my calculations, I saw that Aspie has published 79 papers alone in the past three years. And kind of without stating that these are favorites, if you had to highlight three of these papers for the listener to kind of understand the work that you're doing at Aspie a little bit better, which would you choose and why? Okay, so let me start off with a set of papers, let's say, which is a PhD thesis by Corelia Lamarca. So she has spent her five years here trying to understand how you can use machine learning and seismic attributes 
for channel, like deep water channel architecture. But one of the problems is, is when we're using attributes or we're using and testing out different machine learning algorithms, we never have the answer. So we don't have that truth. So we might have one well log that goes through it and we can be like, okay, well that facies or that lithology looks like this facies. But so what she's done during her PhD work is she's used a synthetic model based on a real channel <laughs> architecture so that she can use the synthetic seismic and then run attributes and see how close they get to the answer, run different machine learning algorithms and see how close they get to that ground truth. So I think that's one of the most innovative things that we've had come out in the last couple of years. Another one that my another one of my PhD students, Marcus Moss, is working on is in some data in Brazil, he's trying to see if he can almost bypass the seismic inversion process <laughs> to use machine learning and seismic attributes in combination with like AVO and velocity models. So now adding in some other, you know, technically attributes or velocity or seismic products to see if he can get good production mapping, try to figure out what reservoirs might produce. And so this work, it's really fascinating to see how well he can match the production of the field without putting any well data in it. So he has the wells that he withheld. So that's really cool. And then some other papers, which are a little bit more than three years ago, one of them is about aberrancy. And so this was he and Marfort 2018. So aberrancy is one of my favorite attributes right now. And it's really good for detecting small flexures, uh, which we've been using for fracture identification. And so there's a couple papers that came out using aberrancy besides just the theory of it in the Kevin Dome area of Montana. And then Sumit Verma did some work up in Alaska to show how aberrancy works there. And the last one is the idea of uh, multispectral coherence. And so this one was a paper that came out in 2020, so I'm still in my three-year limit. Um, but what, what we started to do a few years ago is we have spectral decomposition, which is a, a method that's been around for decades, where we take the seismic bandwidth and we break it up into to more you know, subsections. So like going from 10 to 20 hertz and then 20 to 30, 30 to 40, instead of like 10 to 60. So you know, we look at what we call voices of the frequency bandwidth <laughs> of the seismic. And we found that when we run attributes on different smaller portions of the seismic bandwidth, that we can see more features than we could on the, the full bandwidth. And so it kind of makes sense, you know, once we started doing that, that of course we'll see certain features at lower bandwidths and certain features at higher bandwidths. But pairing that up with some of the attributes has, has been really insightful. So we've got some papers and some student work that's been going on with multispectral like coherence and multispectral aberrancy. What in particular fascinates you about aberrancy? Why are you intrigued by it? <laughs> I get intrigued by seeing how small can we go? <laughs> like, what are those super small Features. Okay. And I will say my version of super small is still like bigger than my house. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> with, with the frequencies that we're working at. But I just find it fascinating and like fun to see, okay, how much detail can we get out of these small changes in the seismic data? 
And so aberrancies, one of the ones that we have now that I think is is looking for very subtle changes. Mm. You know, one of the things, you know, in Grammarly, you could see this, you know, it's trying to process what you're writing and, and improve it and change it. So it you could almost kind of say the algorithm is thinking. And it's obviously making judgments about what the algorithm thinks is important. In this kind of process of yourself and your and your consortium trying to understand what the algorithm is thinking, what has surprised you about what the algorithm chooses to, to focus on through this process? We've been trying to understand this more and more. A lot of people talk about AI as a black box. And I know in some companies, some parts of industry, that machine learning isn't quite as well accepted. Like, do you really want to spend $100 million to drill a well because a algorithm told you so? <laughs> so we've realized that in order for people to adapt and make huge financial decisions on machine learning, that we have to understand, well, what's going on in there? Like, what's going on in this black box? And so David um, Lubo, he did a project during his PhD starting to investigate explainable AI methods. And so trying to apply those to our algorithms for geophysical data. And what they tend to do, it doesn't necessarily show you exactly what the algorithm is thinking, but it's showing you what it's what it's focusing on. So like what feature or what attribute does it think is most important? What is it basing, you know, its decision on, like which attribute? And so what we could do with that is we can take that feature importance that we get from the explainable AI model. And we can think to ourselves, does this make sense? So it's this critical thinking that that we really need to do. And, and what I really try to teach my students and researchers, we have to think about what it's putting out. Does it make sense? And it kind of going further than that, do you find something like oversimplified about the use of machine learning? Maybe kind of on the other flip side of that, but yeah, anything kind of oversimplified of it, especially in, in reference to the geosciences? Yeah, I mean, I think what what often gets oversimplified is is just assuming that it did it correct. <laughs> and so, you know, like we really have to think about the outputs just because my algorithm classifies that this is a, you know, point bar of a channel. Like I should think about, well, am I even near a channel system? Would I expect a channel system in this basin or this part of the basin? So I think there's a lot of oversimplification and thinking that it's just going to give you an answer and we don't have to think anymore. When I started working at OU about five years ago, where we're just like, oh, are, are the machines, are these algorithms going to replace the geologists? And so now like five years later, so you know, we still haven't seen great cases where the the algorithms can understand geology, like understand if I have this type of system, I would expect to see this type of rock and these types of geomorphology features. What's the question nobody is asking? I think one of the questions that that nobody's really asking that that we need to think about has to do with how do we make these tools more accessible and more usable while still ensuring that the people who are using them are using them in kind of the proper way. So I don't want to say like, you know, in in the in an ethical way, but in a proper way where they're doing that critical thinking and that critical analysis. 
that issue of we want a lot of people to be able to use this, just like a lot of people have probably logged on to ChatGPT. You know, we have to really, really refocus on education about critical thinking and analysis. Do you sense a tension is the word coming to mind, but it might be a less kind of loaded word than that between the for-profit businesses and places like Aspie developing these algorithms to share results and share just information so you both can work and develop these things and improve them for the geosciences? Yeah, well, I will say one thing that I really like about working on Aspie or working you know, with our software is that when we have sponsors, they have access to all of our code so they can see exactly what we're doing. So Aspie is really big on full transparency of what we're doing. The algorithms we're using, we have really detailed documentation, which is something that I feel is lacking in some industry softwares where we're not quite sure what what algorithm they're applying. Yeah, some of that black box might simply be the choice of the person developing the algorithm and not a product of the machine learning by default. The other thing that is, I think, really great about Aspie is that we can take risks in developing algorithms and trying things out that larger companies can't. So we can put in, like we have several attributes and machine, quite a few machine learning algorithms in our software already pretty packaged up <laughs> um, that, that aren't available in a lot of these, these bigger industry packages. And that's just because, you know, we're academics, so we can kind of take that risk. <laughs> right. So yeah, being able to take risks, the documentation you provide, the transparency, is there is there any other thing to add or one of those three you want to highlight again that you're most proud of during Aspie's 20 plus years of of being a consortium? I think it's the transparency, you know, that all of the algorithms that we use, all of the parameters and like detailed notes about what what each one of these parameters will do in the algorithm. I think that that's one thing I'm really proud of is if you really want to dive in deep and you want to get detailed and about understanding what the algorithms or machine learning is doing, it's all there. You don't have to search for it, really. In terms of the the scientific work and the scientific understanding, what remaining challenges right now over the next three to five years are you most excited to work on? So what we're going to do this coming years, we've been chatting because I'm bringing in, I have most of my group is graduating this academic year. And so bringing in a whole new round of students next fall will allow me to take on different projects. <laughs> and we're going to focus a lot more on enhancing our visualization. So our new version that comes out in January, it'll have like 3D rotation. And so it'll be prettier and easier to, to see, not quite up to industry you know, visualizations because we just have three or four coders <laughs> working for us. But enhancing our visualization and then also doing more with prediction capabilities for carbon capture reservoirs, um, unconventional reservoir production through data analytics. And we're even adding in a lot more well log capabilities, which will then allow us to do more with seismic conversion. So we're trying to take kind of like a larger realm of data and methods that exist and start incorporating them in, into ASPE. What challenge would you like to leave the listener from this conversation? So 
I would like to leave listeners with the challenge of thinking about machine learning and the biases that it has. So this is another thing that I always talk to students about. In addition to critical thinking about what the algorithms are doing, but whenever we train or we develop an algorithm, it's based on certain assumptions, which are biases. And so that can be a limitation in how the algorithms work. So I think it's kind of always a fun exercise for me to, to tell my students to, to think about, okay, what are, what are some of the biases that you think this algorithm could have? One way to think about it fairly simply is if you train a model using a plastic sediments, you know, it can't know what a carbonate reef is. If 90% of what you train it on are shales and mudstones, then, you know, understanding what a sandstone is or a carbonate or a volcanic are just going to be a small subset of that data. So there's, there's lots of embedded biases and training that go on that I think is really good to think about before you <laughs> just say, here, I have a nice machine learning answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. One change to the the assumptions could all of a sudden leave you with not a nice answer or a very different answer from the one you think. Yeah. And we've been thinking about this problem of what we call unbalanced data, which is what I was just describing, and how we might be able to overcome that or make sure that we're properly sampling what's going on in the subsurface. Kind of lastly here, if you had to describe your journey in one word, what would it be and why? Um, so I think it's been exciting. Um, <laughs> so I was very, very nervous um, making the jump from industry and my time at Chevron into academics. Like I really had no idea if I would be a good mentor or researcher or, or teacher. And so that whole kind of transition into academics was was very exciting for me. And what I've really liked about it is how fun and challenging it is. Like every year we have something new that we're trying to understand better. You know, like when I first came in, machine learning was getting, you know, starting to get a lot of buzz. Now we're thinking more about explainable AI. And then it's just, it's really exciting just working with students because they always have questions that I don't even think about. You know, they're young, they're energetic, they're curious about everything. So it's, it's very contagious. And I always feel uplifted <laughs> when, I, when I teach or, or go to my research group meetings. Well, it sounds like they're probably also being inspired by you to be energetic and young and curious and and ask new questions. Is there anything I should have asked that I did not? I can't think of anything that you've haven't asked, but one thing that I wanted to say is how thankful I am for our sponsors of Aspie because they're what enables us to go on <laughs> year to year. So their support enables me to bring in students like from all over the globe, pay for their tuition, you know, pay their stipend, give them really great research projects to work on. And so they're they're really who I, I thank for allowing me to have such a vibrant research group that can do such innovative and interesting work. Well, that's a, a great shout out there. Heather, I appreciate your time. It's always exciting and, and fun to talk with you. Maybe next time we chat, you'll have an Aspie chatbot uh, already going and uh, who knows what else. <laughs> That's going to take a couple of years. So maybe we could chat before then. Maybe you'll get a, a few more coders by then. You'll, you'll get a few more sponsors and maybe some new things will happen. That's what <laughs> I'm trying for. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Seismic Sound Off. SEG creates these episodes to celebrate and inspire the geophysicists of today and tomorrow. Visit seg.org to learn more. If you have episode ideas or feedback for the show, or want to sponsor a future episode, email the show at podcast at seg.org. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary, at TreasureMet. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Allie McGinnis. The podcast will return next week with a new episode. Until then, this is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.